0: But well, I'd like to surprise you today and uh, invite you to turn to a slightly different passage of scripture, the book of Acts. This is a story that continues on uh, from where we normally are in Acts. Many of you know that Luke, Acts is essentially one book, same author, uh, It just continues forward. And the amazing thing is where we were at in the book of Luke's where Jesus is just beginning to call his disciples, his disciples are now on their own and uh, they're facing pressure unlike any other time in the history of their ministry. But to give you a background to our passage, our passage will be Acts chapter 5. Let's look at, uh, and it'll begin in verse, say, 17. Let's look a little bit before about what was happening. And because, quite frankly, it's very similar to our church. Our church has had uh, a great deal of time and blessing of people coming in the Lord, growing, uh, serving in ministry. It's just we've been so blessed uh, to have a a very easy and fruitful ministry for many years. Uh, But nothing like what we're about to read here. The title of today's message is, We Must Obey God Rather Than Man. You're about to see things get really hard really quickly. And it's extraordinarily difficult both for them and for us to know When should we follow God, and when should we follow God's ordained governing governing, uh, bodies, whatever they may be in whatever country? Uh, Scripture is very clear. God has put them in place. And so it's it's hard to make those decisions as we're trying to figure out uh, when should we worship, how should we worship, uh, what should we do? But here's the setting, beginning in verse 12. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. So the location here is the Temple Mount. The picture on the screen above is a, the Temple Mount. It's the steps as right as you go onto to the very top. And along the edge of the temple is Solomon's portico. And the setting is one of amazement. It says, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Life is good. Can you imagine... You're following Jesus, you're having to eat bread and fish, and you're running for your life after he's crucified, he comes back, things look great, he leaves, you're worried, and this is the ministry you get. Thousands have come to know the Lord there on the temple mount, they're all worshiping together, life is good, God is moving in a miraculous way, and you'd be like, finally, a little bit of ease in, in the ministry and following the Lord. And it says this in verse 13, None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So the thousands that initially come there at Pentecost to to believe in, in Christ, more than ever, more than all of that, that's the number of people that are coming to Christ in faith. So it's amazing. Life is good. Verse 15, So that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So it's amazing. It it poured out onto the streets, off the Temple Mount, just thousands. All the cities are surrounding there bringing people in. In your very ministry, all right, this is not a hard ministry with technology and all the other stuff. It's just simply Peter walking by and a shadow is falling upon people so that they might be healed. You would think life would be easy. It's just good. It's certainly not as hard as today, you would think, reading those events. But things change quite quickly. Beginning in verse 17, it says this, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. This wasn't just a religious ruler. He had the authority of, of uh, Rome, essentially, in that area. And so they had the power to put people in prison. And they did so not based upon breaking laws Uh, causing riots, hurting people, but just out of jealousy, an irrational jealousy. I don't know about you, lately if you've been watching the news, um, I heard this morning 1.6 million people here in the United States have been confirmed as far as being diagnosed with COVID-19. 1.6 million people. That's a lot of people catching that virus in a lot of different ways. Yet, on the news... You know what they highlight the places that are supposedly the epicenters and and their their focal point of giving COVID 19 once in a while they'll show a beach but most of the time they're highlighting churches a church in washington uh some elderly people gathered together originally early on to to for a choir rehearsal they got sick and there was a church in germany where people gathered together and they got sick in other words I don't really see a whole lot of stories on you shouldn't go through the McDonald's drive through or Starbucks or the Ace Hardware. It's really interesting to see the news and the irrational perspective of all these people getting sick, yet they're highlighting, of all things, a church here and there. It's pretty um, scary, quite honestly. But maybe I'm just being overly sensitive. Um, it, that's possible, but whatever the case there would be no reason to be jealous. They weren't looking for power. They weren't looking to take over Jerusalem. They were simply healing people and preaching Christ. So they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. Everything was going great, and then it just dies. Verse 19. Here's where the story takes just the surreal turn. But during the night, and this becomes important here in just a minute, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors. The Greek phrase angel of the Lord here is the same phrase that the Greek translation of the Old Testament that the apostles used, it's called the Septuagint, it's the same phrase used to describe the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, not just a angel. In other words, if you know anything about the Old Testament, there's a great deal of debate on who the angel of the Lord was. Was he jesus pre-incarnate was he some sort of special angel was he we have no idea but we know for sure that the angel of the lord in the old testament does certain things that only god does he receives worship those sorts of things in fact he's even referred to as wrestling with god in jacob the story of jacob so here He lays it out very, very quickly and very simply. An angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Life being capitalized more than likely in your your passage or your translation. So he tells the apostles, leave the prison, which would be a death sentence. Go to the temple mount and speak all the words of Jesus after they were just arrested and thrown into prison for doing that very thing. What are they going to do? Verse 21, And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Notice a couple things. They entered at daybreak and began to teach they. It is the plural. It wasn't just one person. They each individually had to make a decision and they entered the Temple Mount. So the thing is this, I, I mentioned it a second ago, it was important. The angel of the Lord came at night, in the middle of the night. It wasn't until daybreak that they began to teach. So as you can imagine, they're now fugitives of the law. Basically, could be put to death for escape in prison. They're not told to go and hide in the sea, near the Sea of Galilee or outside of Jerusalem, they're told to go to the Temple Mount and they very well could have come up to these steps and they had a few hours to just sit down and think about it. What are you going to do? Are you going to go and share the words of Jesus in just a few hours? Or are you going to think better of it Not risk your family, not risk your children's lives, not risk all your stuff, or potentially die. Surely, yes, they had seen people healed and they'd just seen an angel of the Lord. That's had to be amazing, but in the dark, sitting on the Temple Mount waiting for the sun to rise, those are some really serious decisions that you have to make. They're not being called to some battlefield somewhere. They're being called to do the very thing we're called to do, is to share the gospel, to make disciples. Serious decisions. Decisions we generally, in the past, haven't had to make. Well, as you climb up these steps, you get to the Temple Mount, and the next slide you'll see, looking to the right, this is the Mount of Olives. The very place where their Lord, their Messiah, had been arrested taken and crucified for doing the very thing they're about to do so they're standing there the sun would come up over this mountain it's to the east of, of the temple mount and they have to make a decision do they open their mouth or do they shut up it's a life and death decision would they obey god or would they obey man Verse 21. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel. Notice this this is very similar to what happens today. Life hasn't changed very much. In response to something that the high officials didn't like, they're pulling together a political, basically, base of support. They realize that this isn't going to be an easy, we're just going to arrest them. They're trying to put peer pressure or public pressure or gather their support in their corner so they can pour it out on individuals who might dissent with their point of view. So they're being very wise here. These individuals weren't there on the initial arrest. So they're gathering together all the sinners, the people of Israel, and before they send to the prison... And they sent to the prison to have them brought. So right now, they're assuming they arrested them probably unjustly, but they need to have some sort of basis for either putting them to death or uh, punishing them in some way. Verse 22, But when the officials came, they did not find them in prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened then we found no one inside. I've read this a hundred times, and quite frankly, I started laughing, and it doesn't seem like a laughing matter in such a serious situation, but it's just simply this, right? The angel of the Lord opens up the prison doors and says, Go and, and speak on the Temple Mount, right? So you would think they would just go and speak on the Temple Mount. Apparently, the last guy out, out of the prison, he's, he's walking out of the temple or out of the prison and going to the Temple Mount and decides to go you know what? Maybe I should lock up after myself. And he relocks the prison apparently because they they find it locked. I don't know why the the angel of the Lord would relock it. So apparently, I don't know, Peter was being nice or something, but someone relocked the gates. And so the guards standing at the doors having no reason, uh, and I don't know where they were at when they left, they have no reason to to be checking the cells. Who would be uh, foolish enough to, to be really staring at people while they're sleeping it, it just wouldn't happen so it's not until this individual comes they find no one inside in verse 24 now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words they were greatly perplexed about them wondering what this would come to verse 25 and someone came and told them look the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people They not only began to teach, they continued to teach as the day went on. This is incredibly important for our purposes today, just simple application. A lot of teaching that goes on in the church is not formal teaching from the pulpit. It's you meeting one-on-one with friends, family, uh, just small groups, speaking truth into each other's lives. It's so critical that we meet together because... Frankly, I do very little teaching, really. It's the church as a whole that teaches. Everyone has different gifts. Uh, I'm speaking into this person's life. This person up here is speaking in this person's life over here in very personal times over dinner, after work, at work. Teaching goes on beyond just the pulpit. They were all teaching, or at least a good portion of them. Verse 26, then the captain with all the officials went and brought them in, but not by force. For they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them in, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them. This is the difficult thing. When should we obey man, and when should we obey God? Well, remember, the angel of the Lord specifically tells them, go teach on the Temple Mount. But then the governing officials say, stop, come with us. They could have started a riot. They could have pulled swords. They could have um, said, hey, you're messing with my constitutional rights as, uh, in, in the Israel nation, right? They could have uh, appealed to all sorts of laws, but they just simply obeyed. So, in other words, they were being reasonable in obeying the government whenever they could, and they apparently felt no problem taking time away and stopping for a period of time, even though the angel of the Lord specifically told him to do so. There's this difficulty of trying to figure out where the balance is in following God and obeying the government. And it seems both with Jesus and the apostles and the apostle Paul moving forward, it's just simply this pattern. I'm going to follow God. The government's going to get upset. I'm going to listen to the government but I'm going to keep doing what God said no matter what the government does to me, even taking my life. So there's never this uh, fight. There's never taking up arms against the government. There's, There's never that sort of thing. It's just this consistent godly disobedience when it comes to preaching and teaching the Word of God, gathering together. And you'll see here at the end that it moves beyond even the Temple Mount. Well, they question them saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet you are here and you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They weren't too happy. Last summer, we had the opportunity to go to Canada on a mission trip. The individual that uh, I brought in to speak to you as an apologist and church planner out of Ben, he had been involved in some legal battles that went all the way to the Supreme Court trying to essentially maintained the right to um, share his faith in certain settings in the school school system here in Oregon, and he won. Well, this past week, he was one of the individuals involved in the lawsuit against Governor Kate Brown. You would think um, people would have various reactions, but I didn't realize until I received an email from him this past week that he's literally uh, received threats on his life. Not only that, but within our association of churches, even the churches and other pastors have gotten angry with him for starting the lawsuit. And so he sent out an email, and I'd like to read you just a small quote, um, because it's very applicable and very real in our lives, as we're trying to figure out, do we obey man or do we obey God, and where are those, those lines at? He writes in his email, he says, As you all know, We must look at all of Scripture in applying certain principles. In regards to this court case, we looked to Paul's example in appealing to his God-given Roman citizenship or appealing to Caesar for a legal hearing. In addition, we looked at Daniel, Peter, John, James, and Stephen. We felt that it was in line with Scripture for us to respectfully try to get a favorable outcome through our God-given legal system in regards to churches being allowed to make a responsible decision on when and how to meet safely. So he is, like the apostles, respectfully obeying the government, but using the legal system to the best of his ability in that respect. It's a tough call. But once again, it's, we're going to follow the legal system up to a point, but what is that point? Verse 29, Peter answers it. He says, But Peter and the apostles answered. So Peter gets the credit, but the apostles were right there with him. It wasn't just Peter. One simple sentence to begin. We must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. Again, he's not appealing to a constitution or a declaration of independence or local ordinances or case law or this court or If we're going to take a stand, we have to be very sure that we're obeying God rather than men. The God of our fathers, he continues, raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. And if you're not familiar with the cross and trees and what that's all about, when we refer to a cross, we often think of a normal wooden cross, both the vertical and horizontal section. Scripture, a cross just simply refers to the cross beam the horizontal section. So they would put that beam on a pole and it would look like what we would view as a modern cross or they would put it anywhere, including on a tree, whatever happened to fit the bill at the time. So they hung him on a tree, same thing, hanging him on a cross. Verse 31, God exalted him at his right hand as leader or prince and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witness to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those, and notice this, who obey him. There are a lot of people that believe in God. And some even came to Jesus and said, Lord, Lord. But they weren't true believers. The Holy Spirit indwells those, those individuals who by grace through faith have trusted in God. But the kind of faith is evidenced by obedience, at least at a very minimal level. First John and 2 John and Third John talk about walking in light, not in darkness. He says we're, we're liars if we say we have not sinned, but God is faithful and just to cleanse us and forgive us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So yes, we are to obey and we will continue to sin, but at some point... There has to be a decision. If you want Jesus as Lord, he has to be Lord. And he gives his Holy Spirit to those who obey him. So this is the reasoning. This is the explanation that Peter and the apostles give for disobeying man. Well, as you can imagine, verse 33, (laughs) the response wasn't very good. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill him. That was it. Put yourself in their spot. Their Lord had been crucified. Things were going well. They get arrested. They escape from prison by a miraculous event. They could have very easily believed, well, it wasn't good enough because within a few hours they're taken and arrested again. And they know the penalty for escape is death. Yet Peter and the apostles decide, you know what? Whatever the outcome, we're going to obey God. What would you have done? What would I have done? It's a hard call. I never would have thought living in Oregon during my lifetime, I ever would have even contemplated that. Maybe just intellectually, maybe trying to understand the scriptures. But it's very possible each of us could pay a price, risk something, risk a job, a career, something for simply gathering together to worship God. Yes, we are trying to do so reasonably and following certain guidelines, but there may come a time. Well, verse 34, it says this, but a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care of what you are about to do with these men. For behold, these days, Theodos... "...rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing." Verse 37, "...after him Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He, too, perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So, in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of men, it will fail." But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. Kind of. So everyone gives Gamaliel kind of a pat on the back for, for this great wise uh, counsel. Your Bibles might even say it. But is it actually wise? Well, it's only partially true. Yes, if it is of God, we, we would be found fighting against God, and we're not going to thwart God. But not everything that men start fails. There are major cults today that are very successful. There are major nations that are very evil that are very successful. So don't take as God was inspiring Gamaliel. God just records this account of what occurred. And this is actually the dangerous aspect. A lot of times as believers, when we do take advantage of the court system, we place our hope in the justice that we will receive. And it might be kind of just, but it also might not be. It is not the word of God. The individuals there are not inspired. And you may get a mixed decision. And if that's where you place your hope, you're not placing your hope in God. So they took his advice. Well, what part of the advice did they, they take? Well, they let him go, but notice verse Verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, they let them go. No, they beat them, and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. So they reiterated it after a good, solid beating. What's the worst that's ever happened to you for speaking about Jesus? Think in your mind. Maybe a little embarrassment. Maybe someone poked fun at you. Maybe someone put you down. Maybe even someone went to the length of saying, I don't want to hear that stuff. Maybe you weren't even sharing Jesus. You just had a Christian song on the radio or you had a Bible out or something along those lines. Ask yourself, did you stop? And why? What were you worried about? What price are we willing to pay? A lot of times we stop out of love, actually. We're not trying to irritate someone into heaven. But at the same time, if they don't hear the Word of God, how are they going to get there? I don't know about you, but as an unbeliever, I wasn't particularly interested in the things of God. So they're they're reacting naturally. But do you just quit, or do you maybe find a different way, a new way, a loving way to continue to share? I love how they responded in verse 41. It says, then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. I don't know that would have been my reaction. I would have went home to mama crying. How do you get there? When you're reading these stories, how do you get to the point that you're rejoicing after taking a beating for sharing Jesus. I mean, imagine if I took you on a mission trip and I led the whole team and you all, I led you to some place and you just absolutely took a beating for sharing Jesus. Would you ever go on a mission trip led by me again? (laughs) Or would you be like, nah, Scott, I don't think that's your gifting. (laughs) But would we rejoice? Here's the interesting thing. I, I, I don't know for sure, but I'm just looking back at the passages and studying it as I look at it. This is what I see. I see individuals following Jesus one moment at a time each day. And every day it seems like they're dealing with extraordinarily difficult decisions. Believe it or not, the miraculous signs and healings, those were difficult decisions because easily the ministry could shift to all about healing rather than the name of Jesus. Easily they could try to make you. the the center of attention and, and make you the superstar, so to speak. Difficult decisions. Whether or not to even preach on the Temple Mount in the first place, knowing that the rulers and the leaders of the temple had crucified Jesus. Hard faith decisions. But as you take leaps of faith and truly live by faith, what you're doing in every decision is you're saying, no matter what, whatever the consequences, this Life of faith is the highest priority. It's the highest calling. I'm willing to do it no matter what. And when you're living that kind of faith, you're completely focused on the kingdom of God. And so the idea of rejoicing and taking a beating sounds crazy if you're focused on the things of this world, but if you're focused on the kingdom of God, it actually seems natural. I mean, no one had to convince them to rejoice. No one led them in a rejoicing session, a worship session. No, they just were rejoicing. And here's where they took the command of the angel of the Lord and applied it beyond a one-time descriptive account on the Temple Mount. It says, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not seek teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. He was the Messiah. He was the Savior. So they took the command and broadened it and applied it to every day, everywhere. They were not stopping teaching and preaching that Jesus was our Savior, regardless of the beatings and threats of the government. Once again, the question comes back to us, would we do the same thing? And let me phrase it a little bit differently. Because if you're wondering whether or not you would do it, and you're kind of like me going, well, on some days maybe I would, some days I wouldn't, let's put it from the perspective of this. At some point, and I'll close simply with this, at some point in your life, if you're here and you're claiming to be a believer in Jesus Christ, someone took a risk to share Jesus with you. Someone risked it. They risked your rejection, you making fun of them, your loss of, a loss of friendship. Maybe it was a pastor. Maybe he had risked uh, his career in going into the ministry. Maybe it was just a, a, a someone on the radio who had risked another career and they chose ministry over that. Maybe they risked not being able to pay the bills because they were trying to raise their own funds. Maybe it was a mom who risked upsetting a father who was an unbeliever and they were sharing, trying to raise their kids in the Lord. Whatever the case, someone took a risk. And they might have been fearful in sharing Jesus with you and I. It might not have been death, but they risked something. At the lowest level, are you willing to risk that? Because the reward is so great. You're sitting here because of them and others who prayed and shared with you. What are we risking every day? And what are we willing to risk? Are we willing to risk death to obey God rather than man? And to do so righteously, not self-righteously. It's a thin line to walk, but it's the walk that we must take because the days that we live in are so different than just last year. And they may be different for a very long time. I pray that we are a church that risks it all, to share the gospel, whatever the price. Let's pray. Father, it is such a joy. Uh, It's amazing when we seek you. Uh, Preaching just the third time today is truly a pleasure. Uh, Weeks ago, it would have been arduous. I'm so thankful to be able to gather here live with my brothers and sisters in Christ and to worship and to fellowship and to build one another up, Lord. I pray we'll be bold in our faith. Help us to rethink every relationship, every opportunity that we have to share Jesus, if nothing else, through a simple act of kindness uh, in the name of Jesus. Amen.